This is Maureen Elward. You're listening to Backcast Cape Ann. The stories you hear as part of Backcast Cape Ann's series on the LBGTQ community highlights their contribution, care, and activism. It's a look back at experiences, significant moments, and persistent memories. I'm here with Kate Noonan and Pat Towler of Common Crow, co-owners of the business for 20 years, located in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Thanks for joining me on the LBGT2 podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. So tell me about Common Crow. You've been working on this for 20 years. You opened the store in the year 2000. You took over from the glass sailboat, Pat. That's correct. Can you start telling me about how that transition happened? I worked for the glass sailboat for the last seven years that it was in operation. That seven years was uh, a a sort of add-on and it was intended that I came in to close the business, but we kept going. And at the end of that period, I was ready to move on to do something else. But um, Mac Bell, the boss, suggested that uh, I couldn't escape that easily and that he would like to see if I could buy the business or buy a portion of the business to carry it on. And so Kate and I got together. We were newly in our relationship, put some business together and started to plan a new store that we called Common Crow Natural Health. For the seven years that I worked for the Glass Sailboat, I had the really rare and wonderful experience of working in a downtown business in a community that I had recently come to and that sold things that I cared a lot about, but I didn't have any food business experience. I had a lot of retail experience and I decided to really just dig in like I do and learn everything that there was to know about that. So at the end of the seven years, I learned a lot about the three businesses that were part of the glass sailboat, the clothing business and the food business and the grocery business. And uh, it was a precious time. We had a wonderful time there. Um, And we had a coffee house that we did for three years, um, which was really exciting because that's how I got to meet and know uh, folks in our community, Brian King and Deb Hardy, other musicians in the community that I had the opportunity to host at our space. Kate, uh, where did you come into the picture? I met Pat at the glass sailboat. I was working a few doors down as uh, a mental health counselor. And if a client didn't show up, I'd walk up to the glass sailboat and grab a cookie and a tea or hang out. And uh, actually, even before that, I think I, I did a short stint of cashiering and cashing out. Yeah, I came to Gloucester sort of as my bridge. I had had a very successful career as a naturalist historian, park manager, sort of bird watcher, taking people out, guiding, and working for Mass Audubon in the end. I felt like I had done what I wanted to do in that field and decided to take a break, and I had an opportunity to do that. So I did and came to Gloucester, like a lot of people do. So that was in the early 90s. And so I was sort of bumping around for a few months, you know, not really taking a, an official job and sorting out what I wanted to do. So I worked at the food co-op 
and met a lot of the folks that I, you know, we still serve today or work with even. We, mm-hmm. we have employees in the store who worked at the Cape Ann Food Co-op, who worked at the Glass Sailboat. No, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to leave. You know, we're all the Gilbert grapes of Cape <laughs> Ann. So, <That's> <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> so yeah, I, I first met Pat maybe even before I went to grad school or while I was in the middle of it and studying to do the mental health counseling. During that period was when I was coming out. And it was a lot of fun. It was really fun to come out at that age. Really? So uh, oh, how yeah. old were you, and w- what was fun about it? Well, be- because I was having a fresh start. Uh, I was in a new community. I was an adult. I didn't care what anybody thought about me. I was having really fun experiences in, in so many ways, you know, indi- with, with individual people, with groups of women. Uh, you know, I was being asked out by men, asked out by women. I was just having some fun. And, you know, how old was I? I don't know. I was not quite 40. <laughs> maybe even less than that, a little more than 30. So I went to Leslie and got my master's in counseling psych and um, met a lot of really great women there, had a lot of fun, had my first like real full-on girl crush there. And, you know, throughout my youth, I was just clueless about gay as an option or anything like that. You know, I, I was sort of fluid in my behavior. I enjoyed playing sports. I was very active. I did not put up with any crap from guys. You know, people called me a feminist, and I kind of felt like it was a dirty word because I just felt like a person. I just really felt empowered and like it was okay to be who I am. And who that was wasn't all that much about my sexuality as it was about just doing and thinking and being in the world. So I had a little voice in the head moment when I was in high school. And it was, you know, high school. You're always in conflict with your parents. And my mother drove me crazy. And the little voice said, you won't know love until you know the love of a woman. And I heard that to mean, you better, you know, appreciate what your mother has to offer. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I interpreted it at the time. Hmm. And, you know, when I went to college, girls were crushing out on me all the time. And I, I didn't even have a clue. After dating boys, men being married for seven years to a man, um, and that sort of crashing and burning. I had that time and that space to explore in a time in my life where I felt completely comfortable doing whatever I felt like doing, because I could. Mm -hmm. And that's, I guess, why it was easy and fun. It's always a challenge to come out to your family, but you know, that was pretty hilarious too. (laughs) (laughs) I got my, my sister saying, which one is it? And you what know. do you mean, which one is it? Which one <laughs> which, do you choose? Yeah, which which one of the girls is it that you're hanging out with? Oh, you know, oh. You know. <laughs> it wasn't me at it the time. It wasn't you at the time. <laughs> I'm my, my brother saying, oh, you're going to have to talk to your nieces about that. I, you know, I can't do that for you. And, you know, sisters-in-law saying, oh, hooray. And then my mother saying, you can't come to the holidays. And, you know, and then, you know, two months later saying, what do you bring into your father's 80th birthday party? You know, I mean, it was just how the, the family rolled. And for me... Uh, yeah, there were highs and lows in there, but it was never like, uh, I don't think I ever felt like this is it or I want to kill myself or anything like that. Yeah, it was it was just kind of part of the the excitement and roller coaster of the story for me because I think I felt like that with my family about any big thing that I was announcing to them. The last words my dad said to me were, please tell Pat I said, you know, hello. Hello. <laughs> 
Uh, did you? Or did you have a moment Kate like did that? It. <laughs> Kate did it for you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, in, in thinking about this conversation beforehand, I realized that it's really true that I don't, I'm not a joiner. Anyone who knows me knows that. But I also just uh, have when I've been true for myself, been very focused on the person and the feeling and the connection more than anything else, which is not to say that I was freely moving between female and male affection. I wasn't. It was a big deal for me to realize that the person that I was looking at coming into the glass sailboat for her tea and looking at me over that cup that she would bring and a lot of you know steps of the process, spiritual and otherwise, that brought me to the place where I said, oh, this is a person that I love. In fact, my coworker said to me, you're in love. And I said, I guess I am. And she said, I know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> they always know, you know. And I said. Your friends always know. <laughs> right. And I said, tell me. Because I actually was, like Kate, in the middle of a little um, dance with a couple of different people. And um, my coworker was correct. It was Kate. Uh, it was fun to discover that this happiness could be part of my life. And I'd had a long road before that. Also a marriage to a man before um, I came to this point in my life. And we have found a place where we are connected to each other and it's not about gender specific anything. It's that this is my partnership. Gay and lesbian or other gendered community members are embedded in the common culture more than they were 21 years ago, 30 years ago, 100 years ago. And so we are privileged in this time to have this comfort, relative, Safety, relative acceptance. There's a lot to say about that. It hasn't been all roses for us. And it's true, though, that things are different. And, you know, when I knew that we were going to talk a little bit about the community here, uh, one of the things that I've noticed has changed, it seems, dramatically, is that because of this more universal acceptance, some of the inner community activities have dissipated. Like around the time that we got together 20 or so years ago, the activity of having like a women's coffee house or a uh, gay and lesbian or LGBTQ community event kind of screeched to a stop. It, it stopped happening. Do you think it wasn't necessary anymore because there was that greater integration? Or why do you think it stopped? I don't think it's a bad thing that the community at large opened up to us and we were able to immerse ourselves in normal everyday life. Did you feel like you were separated from from the regular community? Well, when you think about it, safety and acceptance, we all need it. And we all need a, a tribe uh, where the basis of your being is not in question. And at the time... That was, you know, there was sort of a, a separation between our uh, gay and lesbian community 
or other gender culture and the mainstream was mm -hmm. dramatic enough that it wasn't really, no, it wasn't safe and it wasn't accepting. So finding a, uh, your way through your own experience was partly to find your tribe, your community, mm -hmm. and be with them and just do normal stuff. Go over, go over to someone's house for dinner or share music together. Um, and specifically music or, you know, experiences that expressed our own context. Um, Kate and I attended some women's festivals and uh, that was an incredible adventure, you know, to see the women-only culture hmm. um, expressed in that community and um, with all orientations, but just women. I personally never felt any kind of um, pushback for for being a, a lesbian gay person, different other person on KVAM. I, I always felt like, you know, I'm here, I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm a you know contributing member of society, I'm welcome, accepted, I accept you. And I think for me anyway, coming at the world in that way makes it easier to be accepted too. Mm. Um, and not everyone has that privilege, I know. Not everyone, you know, has that sense of self. But, um, you know, as a business owner in Cape Ann, as a therapist in Cape Ann, uh, you know, just a regular person in the store, um, it's not even like a topic very often. Amongst the staff it is more so. I remember the first time we had an employee call us a power lesbian couple. <laughs> And I was like, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm surprised right. to hear that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, as perceived by others, I think it's really different than the life that we live. Mm -hmm. I wanted to tell a little story about same-sex marriage and the passage of the law. Kate and I were already pretty committed to each other and the very tumultuous period when the state of Massachusetts was in the process of um, you know, accepting or allowing or permitting same-sex marriage. Finally, that law was passed, and you know, Kate likes to be an early adopter. <laughs> so we we uh, trotted over there and filled in the paperwork. You trotted over where to the to city, city hall, city hall, from Gloucester our, City Hall, Gloucester store City Hall, Pleasant from Street, the store. Right. And the ladies in the clerk's office were shaking and nervous and very anxious. And uh, we got our paperwork, and they were just sort of very respectful, but sort of counting and measuring every word and making sure that they were doing everything correctly. And we filled out our paperwork. And um, then we got our packet of soaps. We got our, yes, laundry detergent laundry and testers <laughs> in a cute little <laughs> silver bag, which I think I might still have in a drawer somewhere. It was like a welcome wagon bag. That's what you get when you go apply for your license in Gloucester. So we left there, and you know, then we said, all right, oh, we did it. We have this process underway. And then you have to be done with your actual wedding by a certain number of days, right? Yeah, I think we had like 30 days. So initially we thought, um, you know, we'll just have a little something, of course, all of the details of telling family and friends about this, that, you know, every single person said, oh, no, you don't. There will yeah, be no not. little mm -hmm. something. 
So um, in the end, we had our wedding at our home, which was right off of Washington Street and in public view because my old garden was directly in view of the street. And we had 70 people there. It was a really wonderful day. We had a beautiful um, ceremony and lovely meal, and it was just awesome and wonderful. There's another piece to the story I wanted to share, which is about some of the challenges that we've experienced. I'll tell a story about being in the old store in downtown just after we had gone to get our license. Um, we serve a lot of different people in the store, and diversity and welcoming is part of what we're about. You know, folks from all walks of life that would come in and get their vitamins or their, at the time, incense or whatever they were buying. And herbs. And Speaking herbs. Speaking all different languages. All over the place. So, you know, one day, one of our real regulars came storming into the store and just, she's probably, you know, at the time in her 60s maybe, good customer, came in every day pretty much after she went to the Y every day and was, you know, kind of sweet to us and friendly. And she was mad. And she came in and she just let me know, not because she knew anything about me, but that she knew I was a safe space and the store was a comfortable place to be and she was used to speaking her mind at our store, that she couldn't believe that gay marriage was allowed now and that she was going to have to move out of state. And could I believe that this was happening? She didn't know. Nope. And I was just hearing her and doing all of the things that it takes to just let someone have their space. I mean, I internally was kind of chuckling because really I got it for the first time myself that she didn't know anything about me. But I let her speak her mind, and she was truly horrified that she was going to talk to her husband about selling their house and moving out of state because she couldn't tolerate the thought that this was happening. And I heard her, and I said, oh, you know, it's going to be okay. Everybody's going to be fine. I, I hope you don't move. And, you know, if you roll forward about a year and a half or two years later, when she came into the store another time, and she said, just casually, hey, I saw you in your yard doing your um, gardening, and uh, you and Kate have made a really nice place. I felt like the period was on the end of the sentence without convincing, without controlling, without teaching, but just accepting. It, it felt really important. And years and years have gone by, and this person is still a customer, is still a friend of the business, is still around. You know, it's, it's um, in some ways, space makes a lot of change happen. We own a business where we um, employ over 50 people, and gender diversity is part of our community um, and what that is like to you know to hold um, open community in a workspace to allow people all their diversity uh, is its own way of teaching and observing that you know uh, in college I was um, 
involved in feminist theory and the idea of marginalization <laughs> and the context that there is, you know, a center, an ex accepted set of norms in a, any thought process or community, and then there's the marginalized aspect of that. So it's part of the anatomy of culture that there are marginal and center places to be in. Um, being marginalized or not being part of core culture can mean a lot of different things. And to be able to generalize that and say, look, this is part of this ecosystem, this, this, uh, this shape of what this is, and then recognize what our responsibilities are to the marginalized, whoever they are is compassion, welcoming, accountability, responsibility to the whole, and responsibility to take special care of the marginalized or the edge of what culture has um, as its shape. For us, it's, you know, we live inside of it so deeply that I kind of think that we've almost forgotten that that is a thing to talk about, but it is actually. We are who we are, and the privilege of owning a company is that, or, and also perhaps some of the drawback is that, you know, the people that we are affect how we shape our business. And so, you know, in terms of who we have working for us, I suppose that if we are known or seen to be um, a power couple, or that this is a place where people of um, a diverse gender identification can work, then yes, we'll get applicants like that who openly and comfortably speak who they are. Anything that brings you closer to what your truth is will grow your power. The more intentional you are, the more powerful you are. Kate, I do feel more and more uh, comfortable with my power as I get a little bit older and get to know myself a little bit better. I'm just constantly unraveling and re-weaving. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, and we'll see you at Common Crow. Thank, Thank you. you. Backcast Cape Ann is a production of 1623 Studios. This show was produced by me, Maureen Elward, with technical assistance from Becky Tober. Find Backcast Cape Ann on 1623 Studios, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find all our podcast episodes on 1623studios.org.